Good afternoon. It's Friday the 5th of November 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio today, Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wire. Welcome to the, the programme, Patrick. Great to be with you, Mike. Uh, right. Fantastic. Let's get straight on because we can't do better than start with some fantastic news. Uh, it is brilliant. There it is on screen. Uh, the brand name is Legavrio, uh, but the active agent is Molnupiravir. Um, so useful uh, useful name. And of course, it's being touted this morning as a COVID cure, the first COVID cure. We'll see a bit more about that in a second. But before we get onto the details of it, uh, everybody would be glad to know that there's even better news because the MHRA has appointed uh, Dr. Laura Squire OBE as their new brand spanking shiny Chief Healthcare Quality and Access Officer. So what's this all about? Well, this is uh, the Inspection Enforcement and Standards Division uh, which inspects manufacturers, wholesale dealers and importers of medicines to check that they're meeting our standards. They also inspect clinical trials and toxicology labs. So this is, uh, this is all good stuff. Uh, they also investigate when they receive reports of illegal advertising, uh, production of sale of medicines for human use, which can result in legal action being taken. And they also monitor the import of unlicensed medicines. So the question is, is Molnupiravir a licensed or an unlicensed medicine? Well. Uh, here we go. Uh, Dr. June Rain is delighted that Laura joins uh, at an exciting time as the agency looks to implement its transformation uh, and as they continue to work hard on improving safe access to medicines, vaccines and medical devices. So it couldn't be much better than that, uh, which leads us straight into the game changer as the Daily Express ha has it. The Express tends to tout for uh, pharmaceutical products on the front page reasonably often. Yeah, it's up for sale, basically. The front page of the Express is well known to be uh, up for the highest bidder from the pharmaceutical industry. Normally, you'll see statin on the front page or new miracle cure, or this or that. So, or repurposing some drug for Alzheimer's is just normal standard fare for the Express. But is this the world's first pill to fight COVID? Is it really? Well, that's the claim. And uh, what about ivermectin? What about hydroxychloroquine? These are also treatments, uh, supposedly for COVID as well, but they're not brand new treatments. They haven't pumped a lot of money into the. No, right. And there, there's not much profit to be made in them either. So, uh, as a result, uh, and the question is uh, did Laura, was she involved in the decision to bring this drug into the country? Uh, well, uh, here is June Rain again, the CEO of the MHRA who says that following a rigorous review of the data by our expert scientists and clinicians, we are satisfied that Legevrio is safe and effective for those at risk of developing severe COVID-19 disease and have it granted its approval. We've heard this kind of rhetoric before. Those words, safe and effective, right? Safe and effective. So the antiviral is safe and effective at reducing the risk of hospitalization and death in people with mild to moderate COVID-19 who are at increased risk of developing severe disease, the MHRA announced today. This is their press release. Uh, this follows a rigorous review of its safety, quality and effectiveness uh, and so on. Uh, so the question is, how did they come to this conclusion? Well, Patrick, uh, in a, it, was, it came as a result of a randomized phase three trial. Okay. Uh, scientists gave uh, molnupiravir to, uh, or a placebo to 775 people. So a massive sample group. A right? massive sample group. Uh, all the participants had tested positive for SARS-CoV-2 infections and experienced mild to moderate COVID-19 symptoms uh, and had begun uh, no more than five days earlier. Uh, the scientists allocate each of this, allocated each of the 775 participants randomly to one of two groups. One group received 
the drug, the other a placebo. That's not specified, don't know what it was. Uh, and the participants took capsules twice a day for five days. Uh, and they say that of the 385 patients taking uh, molnupiravir, 28 were admitted to hospital compared to 53 from the placebo group. Uh, and eight of the placebo group died, uh, while none died from the drug group, apparently. So let's have a look at what the MHRA is saying here are the side effects. Um, so here's table one from their press release, a tabulated list uh, of adverse reactions. And in fact, this is the same information that's going on the, uh, the drug, the, the leaflet inside the packet. Um, so uh, you might have nervous system disorders, such as dizziness and headache. Those are common. Uh, you might have ga gastrointestinal disorders, such as diarrhea and nausea. Those are common. And then vomiting would be uncommon. And then skin and subcutaneous tissue disorders, such as a rash or uteceria, uh, uncommon is what they're saying. That's all they list. And then underneath it says, reporting suspected adverse reactions after authorization of the medicinal product is important. It also uh, it allows continued monitoring of the benefit-risk balance of the medicinal product. Uh, healthcare professionals are asked to report any suspected adverse side effects via the coronavirus yellow card reporting site at coronavirus-yellowcard.mhra.gov.uk. Uh, so that's what they say. But unfortunately, it's not all quite as rosy as it seems. Uh, because, well, here's one example of a paper from, uh, which is published in uh, Oxford Academic in the Journal of Infectious Diseases. Um, and, well, what is this uh, saying? It's basically saying uh, that uh, molnupiravir causes viral RNA to mutate. Uh, there are concerns that the mist might cause mutations in host cells as well. And there's no clear evidence that any of this was uh, actually investigated during the trials. Uh, one study in animal cell cultures found mutations in cells treated with uh, molnupiravir, which is this study that's on screen at the moment. Um, so the authors of that study recommended that its uh, mutagenic potential be stressed, uh, be assessed in vivo, in other words, in real human beings or real uh, flesh and blood, blood uh, animals or human beings, focusing on rapidly dividing cells. Additionally, they re uh, recommended monitoring to uh, assess potential uh, genotox sorry, genotoxic trusted source side effects. So let's have a look at what uh, this particular scientist, Dr. Simon Clark from the U University of Reading. In fact, he's Associate Professor of Cellular Microbiology at the University of Reading. And he said it's worth noting that people involved in the trial were instructed to abstain from heterosexual sex or else to use contraception. Uh, and he said, while this is routine practice with some other medicines such as cancer chemotherapy, it suggests that the drug has the potential to cause birth defects should someone become pregnant. Uh, so was this investigated? There was no evidence of that whatsoever uh, in, the, uh, in the trial, as far as I could see. Uh, and I just want to highlight two articles here uh, from Forbes, uh, one called Supercharging New Viral Variants, Dangers of Molnupiravir, part one, and the second one, which is part two of the series, Harming Those Who Receive It, The Dangers of Molnupiravir. Uh, and uh, well, there's, uh, there's a lot to read in those two articles, and I strongly recommend that people do. Uh, but uh, once again, Patrick, we have a situation where uh, a drug has been brought into the country, uh, given uh, a wave through, because Britain is the first country on the entire planet to, uh, to uh, sort of uh, approve this drug for, for use. Uh, the EU is still running uh, trials. They're still continuing to watch. Uh, so it looks like everybody's looking to see what's, what happens in the, in the UK once again. So it hasn't really been uh, 
tested properly, it seems, certainly for not all the identified risk factors. Um, and, uh, and again, it's being rolled out um, and the British population being used as lab, lab rats. I assume this has only been developed in the last, what, 12 months or something like this? Or less? Well, yeah, because it's only gone through. Uh, and, and I'm not clear yet because uh, there's still more research to be done. Whether, whether the, the, the trials were run in parallel as with the vaccines, I haven't uh, nailed that question down yet. So we're safe saying that there's zero, zero, medium or long term. Uh, data or yes. observation yes. or research on in terms of safety. Yes. Uh, but yet they're making these grand claims about uh, being safe and effective. That doesn't really square with the reality. I mean, what, what, have they been working on it for 10 years? And once again, as well as that, we seem to have scientists with, with papers saying, actually, there are risk factors not being considered here and those uh, being largely ignored. By the regulators yes. and saying, ah, let's roll the dice anyway, yes. flood the market with it. And by the way, make sure you read the label uh, and don't take it before you have sex. So, Indeed. Yeah. What a, what a success story. Which brings us on to Pfizer. Another great success story. Pfizer, uh, one of the great pharmaceutical uh, companies. Uh, well, actually, maybe not. Maybe not. This is a story that just broke this week. Uh, researcher blows the whistle on data integrity issues and more uh, with Pfizer's vaccine trial here. And this is the company uh, that was subcontracted by Pfizer to do the clinical trials, uh, Ventavia Research Group. So it's a very interesting story. Let's break it down because it has an absolutely uh, a huge bearing on everything that we've just said in the last few minutes here. So this is the, the British Medical Journal. So obviously this is a serious uh, peer-reviewed medical journal here. And uh, what they're saying is, well, what their investigative reporter, this is an investigative piece of journalism, revelations of poor practices at a contract research company helping to carry out Pfizer's pivotal COVID-19 vaccine trial, raise questions about data integrity and regulatory oversight. Now, that's a very mild summary of the contents of this report. Let's just take a look at what's inside. The whistleblower is interesting, Brooke Jackson. Uh, from Ventavia Research Group. And what happened is this particular employee saw all these things happening and basically spoke to the, her uh, senior management and what just take a wild guess what happened. What was her reward for being such an honest, uh, uh, conscientious employee? Well, in the UK, it'd be called a P45. In the United <laughs> States, I guess it's called a pink slip. Is that right? Sacked. Yes, yeah, sacked. So uh, after, after Brooke Jackson was sacked, uh, proceeded to go to the BMJ mm -hmm. to blow the whistle here. This is what we we are seeing in terms of the accusations, falsifying trial data. Well, that's always a good one, isn't it? Especially for vaccine trials uh, for COVID-19. Unblinding staff and patients, so a total violation there of the integrity of the, of the process. So potential, well, staff were unblinded, but also it looks like as possible patients were too. Poor laboratory management. Uh, all sorts of hygiene issues, syringes uh, being left around and so forth, patient safety concerns, uh, employed inadequately trained vaccinators. So people who didn't know what they're doing mm -hmm. uh, for administering uh, vaccines and not responsive to adverse reactions of patients. So basically taking their own sweet time uh, whenever there was reports of adverse, serious adverse reactions of the people involved in the trial. So in other words, uh, management, Pfizer, not too interested uh, in that sort of thing. Of course, they don't really want to know if anybody had an adverse reaction. So this is just one of many 
things that would cast doubt on the actual claims made by the pharmaceutical companies about how well their trials are being conducted and so forth. And I might add that doesn't even get into the whole issue of uh, quoting um, relative risk reduction, 95% effective mm -hmm. versus absolute risk reduction, which would be less than 1% mm -hmm. effective. And by the way, these firms were told not to use that relative risk reduction statistic, and they're using it anyway. The reason they're using it is because they have spent so much money lobbying government and, and uh, regulators and everybody else in government so that they can quote these huge numbers when in fact the, the real best practice is that's actually fraudulent representation of the results and they should be quoting the true number. I mean, who would get the vaccine on an experimental emergency use authorization if it was less than 1% effective? Would you get it? Do you know anybody that would get it? So, I mean, so it's the, that's where we're at. So Pfizer uh, is kind of uh, doing a victory lap right now, Mike, because uh, they've got their FDA approval, which is fairly meaningless these days, mm -hmm. uh, but for, for to vaccinate the children. And so to celebrate their ability, their access to the uh, bloodstreams of children uh, across America, they have done a advertisement, but it's more like a really heinous piece of propaganda. Now, we're going to show this, and I guarantee you, if you're watching and you haven't seen this yet, um, you will be very disturbed uh, by the end of this one minute and 10 seconds. Getting ready to fight COVID. All of us want to be superheroes. And the most important heroes are those that help others. This year, thousands of kids like us around the world joined the COVID-19 vaccine trial. Kid power. And when they did, they became all superheroes. Ah! To all the kids who volunteered, we'd like to say... Thank you! Thank you! Thank you for sharing your superpowers of... Courage. Trying new things. The ability to save people. Power to help people. Helping not just um, yourself, but many other kids. To not be scared. Be strong. Super brave. Bravery and courage. A superhero shot. Helping everybody. Fight coronavirus and help others. You're helping the whole entire world. Thank you. You are all superheroes. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, superheroes. Thank you. You're awesome. Incredible piece of propaganda, isn't it? Yes. So did you see, did you see they're, they're making the kids basically regurgitate the script mm -hmm. that by getting the vaccine, you're helping others. But according to the manufacturer's own studies and what we know about all the data, the, the, the vaccine doesn't prevent uh, transmission mm. or contracting the virus according to their own uh, um, uh, numbers and data. So, but yet they're getting kids to repeat the same lie. And uh, it's, of course, it's, it's, a, it's a huge lie that politicians are also repeating. Everybody in the media is repeating it as well. And, uh, you know, you, you have to think, why would parents offer their children up for an experimental trial for a vaccine against a uh, su supposed disease that has zero risk of ever making the child ill, statistically, let alone uh, killing them. 
uh, from COVID-19. Why would you offer your child up for an experimental uh, gene-based uh, injection on that basis? I, I really don't understand. Are they paying them a lot of money or are the parents themselves brainwashed? And there's no words to describe uh, what's going on here. It's really, really uh, tragic to say the least. Yes. So, so and, but uh, kids taking the plunge then? Well, this is just another one that's sort of local press coverage here from Chicago. And just look at the, the look on this child's face. This pretty much says it all here. Kids taking the plunge. So uh, brothers overcome fear of needles to get vaccinated. Chicago children age 5 to 11 line up for the shots. They're celebrating this. They're really proud of the fact that they're jabbing all their children, even though their children are at statistically zero risk of ever getting uh, sick from COVID. And they'll say, yeah, but the kids can catch it and spread it to adults. Well, the vaccine doesn't prevent you from catching it or spreading it. Mm. So again, we're back to square one. This is just a bevy of lies. Um, so back in May then, Dr. Mike Williams published this article on the UK Column website, Clotting and COVID Vaccine Science. And he was talking about the spike protein, which of course is the active uh, agent in the uh, in various vaccines. It's what the mRNA vaccines are producing. It's what the AstraZeneca vaccines are uh, are there to produce. And his point was that has been known. Uh, some are, you know one of the points made in this article. I strongly recommend everybody reads it. Uh, is that, that the the dangers of of uh, uh, the spike protein for people, particularly spike protein finding its uh, places in, in the wrong parts of the body. Uh, it, have been known about and are in the scientific scientific literature for a very long time. Um, so he was questioning why the spike protein was being used as the active ingredient in the vaccines under those circumstances. Well, there's another scientific paper has uh, has come up on this subject. It's called SARS-CoV-2 spike impairs DNA damage repair and inhibits uh, recombination in vitro. Uh, and uh, this is quite a, a, an interesting uh, article now. Uh, Dr. Mike Williams uh, had attempted to contact the authors of this to, to get a little bit of extra information uh, on it in time for this program, but we didn't uh, unfortunately get that in time for this program. But let's just have a look at a couple of quotes from this. Uh, first of all, our findings reveal a potential molecular mechanism by which the spike protein might impede adaptive immunity and underscore the potential side effects of full-length spike-based spike vaccines. In other words, uh, they, are, they are absolutely seeing uh, that uh, side effects are impeding, or the, are, the side effects are increasing as a result of impeded adaptive immunity uh, caused by uh, this. Uh, and it goes on to say, mechanistically, uh, we found that the spike protein localizes in the nucleus and, in, and inhibits DNA damage repair by impeding key DNA repair proteins. Uh, and uh, the point that uh, has been made to me is, under no circumstances should it be possible for the spike protein, spike protein to get into the nucleus. And if, if, if there's damage as a result, and if, it's, if the ability to repair DNA is uh, impaired as a result, then the likely outcomes might be cancer. Uh, it could lead to immunodeficiency. It could shorten lifespan, in fact. So uh, another scientific paper coming out uh, saying that there is not enough research has been done on the, the, the particular mechanisms that the vaccine companies have chosen uh, to pursue for the, for the vaccines that they've rolled out, um, and uh, yet more evidence that uh, the research just isn't there.
Well, I mean, beyond this, we we can't even use the term vaccine, although they they've changed the definition uh, of vaccine uh, to to basically include uh, a, a new uh, branch of this definition, which is right. mRNA, mRNA gene therapy mm. uh, injections as well. So it is not it's not a vaccine in, in the traditional sense sure. or the the concept. But what it is, it's it's taken the most toxic uh, component. Uh, of what is believed to be the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is a spike protein, injecting that into people's bloodstreams, where it will- And then replicating it. it, it it's gonna proliferate yeah. all over the body. So effectively what they're doing is creating an al allergic, an allergic environment, uh, where in, in fact the, the body itself is uh, going to be producing an allergen, uh, a toxic substance. They took the most toxic substance and put it into the vaccine. Mm. And then it's promulgating throughout the body, directly into the bloodstream. How is this, how is this good for someone's health from a theoretical standpoint? Mm. This is a complete departure of the concept of a vaccine. And nobody wants to have this conversation in the mainstream. And politicians, quite frankly, we are talking way above their, their pay grade, mm. their A-level science pay grade, Matt Hancock's, you know, GCSC science level. Yeah. Uh, and so is this not a concern to anybody? Are the regulators concerned about this? Apparently not. Apparently not. Yeah. Okay, well, let's uh, move on to uh, papal issues uh, and, and the Catholic Church, Patrick, and uh, NPR here. Well, this is interesting. Uh, a lot of people might not be aware there is a type of a civil war brewing uh, within the Catholic Church. And uh, the reason we started paying attention to this was after Joe Biden's visit to the Vatican recently, and he met Pope Francis, and here's Pope Francis, this is from August, where he said, uh, getting vaccinated is an act of love. And we spoke about this on previous programs, vaccines are our friends, and so forth. So some of the people within the church are asking, high, highly ranked um, members of the clergy are asking, why is the Pope taking this position mm. on something that is, normally not the purview of uh, their institution uh, in, in the Catholic Church in this case. And so this is a good question. So uh, Archbishop um, Vigano from Rome uh, has made a few very controversial interviews, statements, uh, written open letters uh, recently. We covered one of them here, and he's really basically taking, uh, he's taking Pope Francis to task on this issue. Uh, because the Pope is backing vaccine mandates in general. Okay, this would include members of the church or the clergy as well. So uh, Archbishop Vigano is basically saying that uh, he's telling parishioners, open your doors, open your homes to unvaccinated priests who are going to be locked out or shut out of uh, official church grounds because of this policy that seems to be preferred uh, from the Vatican from Pope Francis. So this is quite a major departure, uh, it's at least in recent years. And so, uh, th and this is what he said, this constitutes an unprecedented betrayal of the divine mission of the Church of Christ, of the power of pastors, and of the mandate of priests in a process of replacing the revealed religion with a pseudoscientific cult that borders on idolat idolatry. And that's Archbishop. Vigano here, and he, he's been a close confidant and worked with, I believe, the last four popes. So he is uh, very much an insider uh, in terms of the Vatican mm -hmm. and um, very uh, highly respected, 80 years old. And so he gave a one-hour interview uh, uh, 
recently uh, with the editor of Inside the Vatican. And this is a, a, a shocking interview for, for even for us to see somebody, a mainstream religious figure, basically saying everything that we say on this program mm. and more. Uh, he, in this interview, he is quoting uh, uh, Klaus Schwab, <laughs> the Rockefeller lockstep document. Mm. He's mentioning the Great Reset. And he's accusing Pope Francis of advancing a satanic agenda. And he's really declaring war on the Pope. So there's a schism, perhaps a civil war brewing uh, within the Vatican on this issue. Let's listen to a couple of clips of this recent interview uh, here uh, with Archbishop Vigano. It now seems clear to me that we are facing a siege on both the social and religious front. The so-called emergency pandemic has been utilized as a false pretext to impose the vaccination and the Green Pass in many nations of the world in a simultaneous and coordinated way. At the same time, on the other front, not only do the ecclesiastical authorities not condemn in the least the abuse of power by those who govern public affairs, but they support them in this wicked plan and go so far as to condemn those who do not accept being subjected to inoculation with an experimental gene serum with unknown side effects that does not impart any immunity from the virus, to say nothing of the moral implications related to the presence of genetic material derived from aborted fetuses, which for a Catholic is itself a more than sufficient reason to refuse the vaccine. We are at war. But you've emphasized that you see a type of coordination between the globalists, as we may call them, the architects of this new world order and the Catholic Church with Pope Francis. How can we explain what seems to be a new alliance? The alliance that you mentioned is not between state and church, but between the deep state and the deep church, that is, the degenerated components present within each. It is obvious that rulers are not pursuing the common good when they expose a population to experimentation without scientific basis. And it is equally obvious that the ecclesiastical hierarchy, insofar as it lends itself to supporting this massacre plan on the global level, is an accomplice to a crime against humanity, and even more, to a very grave sin against God. The Bergoglian Sinodrin is clearly integral to the plan of the Great Reset. On one hand, 
because it is pursuing ends that have nothing to do with the purpose of the Catholic Church. And in the other, because it's hoped that his complicity can bring it some sort of political and economic advantage in view of the new order. Pretty incredible. Yeah, well, he, he's hitting the nail on, on the head many times there. Right, and he, he's saying things that a lot of people were hoping somebody, uh, some religious leader would actually come out and say mm. for the longest time. Uh, I do encourage people to listen to the whole interview. If you want to watch the whole interview, just go to 21stCenturyWire.com, and here it is, the full interview with Archbishop Vigano, warning against vaccine mandates and a new world order. And I might add, the journalist, Mike, that was interviewing him uh, was Robert Moynihan, and he is a real veteran in terms of uh, covering the Catholic Church and the Vatican. I mean, a serious establishment-type figure, uh, incredible qualifications, won all sorts of awards as a as a journalist. He's 80 years old. So uh, what we're seeing so often, Mike, is that people towards the end of their career, be they, be they in politics, be they celebrities, mm. and music, musicians like Eric Clapton and so forth, and in this case, um, Archbishop Vigano and Robert Moynihan are, are not afraid uh, to, to basically say what they really see that, that's actually happening. Mm. Uh, when so many other people um, in maybe, say, a different age or career bracket, are really frightened and scared mm. to step uh, over the line and uh, make themselves be heard or speak uh, freely and honestly. So, uh, again, it's like uh, when we were talking about the anti-fracking movement for those years, that it was the what they called the Jerry activists yes. that drove that movement. Yeah. And guess what? In, in the UK, they were successful. Mm. They, they, they defeated some of the most wealthy and powerful uh, individuals in the country, and it was the older activists who did that, uh, not the younger ones. The younger ones were also involved, but in terms of the intensity and the real um, uh, buy-in and participation. And, and just the consistency, the fact that we're always there, so they weren't uh, having to go off and do a job, they were always there, and yeah. that, was, that was problematic for certain people. So, you know, that, we do hold out hope as well for some of um, these more veteran individuals. So that's a really interesting development in terms of the Vatican. So a little bit of a change there. And let's go down under. And what's happening in New Zealand and Australia is uh, equally fascinating. And so here she is, uh, Jacinda Ardern, the queen of zero COVID and uh, taking her country down that zero COVID odyssey. And it was all going swimmingly well. This is Tony Blair's personal protege here uh, installed into power uh, down in New Zealand to be one of the baiting, beta testing countries for the Great Reset and for the, uh, the the new order that is coming into view. But things, Mike, are a little bit unhinged. New Zealand has kind of gone off the rails. So what happened to that confident, swaggering Jacinda Ardern just a couple of uh, months ago where she locked down the whole country after one PCR-positive case of COVID in August, and uh, she was brimming with confidence at these press conferences and you know, all the questions from the press were all softballs. This has all changed now. You can see you, you reported recently how she... How she reacted to the, the unaccredited journalist. She threatened to shut down the press conference. Yes. So things are not looking good. Now, she's really unhinged in this. This is a more recent one uh, where she's being challenged by mainstream accredited journalists now. And you can see by her uh, reaction and body language. And then we, we've also cut in here special thanks to coronavirus. Uh, plushie uh, down in New Zealand for 
providing us uh, with this video as well. But let's, uh, let's watch this, what's happening in New Zealand. I'm surprised at the level of hostility towards you no. and the vaccine rollout. No, nor, nor am I taking that um, personally, um, nor, nor am I surprised. You know, we are at a stage in the vaccine rollout where we are trying to reach into communities that may hold firm views. Um, but we need to have those conversations. And just talking to some of our health practitioners, their goal is to talk to everyone, um, wherever they can, to try and have those conversations around why it is so important that people are vaccinated. You know, of course we do know that there are a small group, a small group, <laughs> who hold very strong views on vaccination, and possibly not just this one, but other vaccines as well. But um, they do not represent necessarily the majority of people who have not yet been vaccinated. Behind me right now, 10,000 nurses, teachers, farmers, parents, health workers. A small group, a small group. Have been told no jab, no job. Have been told we're going to be in a segregated nation. That is what it is. So, yep. Yep. I'm surprised at the level of hostility towards you no. and the vaccine rollout. Oh, no, nor, nor am I taking that um, personally. I think she's taking it very personally, Patrick. Uh, I think she is. So, things have, have shifted in New Zealand and it's it's because of a lot of grassroots activists and there's a lot of people doing incredible work certainly on the legal front uh, there's a, a lawyer by the name of Sue Gray um, who really spearheaded an effort <clears throat> a legal effort to basically insert uh, an, an amendment into the Bill of Rights to respect uh, a vaccine and uh, uh, exemption because New Zealand has this no jab no job uh, policy and this is uh, affecting healthcare workers, public sector workers, prison uh, employees, and other sort of key workers. And so that's who she's representing. So uh, let's listen to this. This is outside of the uh, courtroom, uh, and uh, this is before they actually got the result. This is one of the uh, after one of the previous hearings, but it's really important. This is uh, Sue Gray, and she's explaining uh, how this has sort of come to pass. And, um, and how things are really building up and improving uh, on the sort of activist and campaigning front in New Zealand. Listen to this. Because our fundamental human rights, the argument is that they belong to us, not even to the government at all. The government's got no right to interfere, our, my body, my choice, and that's our starting point. But if there is any right for the government to interfere, it must be demonstrably justified, it must be reasonable, it must be proportionate. And we say that they've failed to do all of that. So at least we've got the issues on the table. Um, and what was the most amazing thing of all is while we're in there arguing about the rationality and reasonableness of what the judge, uh, what Parliament has done and what the Minister's done over the last few months, they're over here passing more extreme pronouncements that go way beyond where we were and based on the evidence that we've been hearing in court today, including the Ministry of Health's own expert evidence, it's completely unjustified what they're proposing over here. So the, the irony of the whole thing, it, it, it just seems to me that the government is completely out of control. They are misinformed about the science. The more they tell us that we don't understand the science, the fact is, based on their own evidence, the government is misinformed about the science and they're misleading the public about the science. And there's this huge, huge force of 
hum humanitarian power, people power, saying enough is enough, let's stop this, let's step up, What we'll do whatever it takes to take back New Zealand for the people. So, I mean, that is so exciting. You give people an opportunity. It's shown time and time again that as long as we do something, it creates a ripple of momentum and it creates an opportunity for more good things to happen and inspires other people to do things. So, you know, really inspirational uh, effort there uh, by Sue Gray and everybody in New Zealand. Let's take a look at the uh, piece of legislation here. Uh, this is from the New Zealand legislation website, COVID-19 Public Health Response Vaccinations Amendment Order. Uh, and as you can see, we're going to scroll down here. What we're looking for here is right in the middle there, that's section uh, 7A, uh, exemption from duty uh, under clause. And we go here, exemption from duty under clause, section 7. And you can see this clause applies to uh, an affected person who belongs to a group specified, uh, talking about uh, these various uh, uh, categories as well. And so all that's required, Mike, is a, is a note from a medical professional. Or uh, it doesn't have to be a doctor, could also be a nurse, uh, could also be a midwife, could also be e potentially even a chiropractor or any of the naturopath uh, types of doctors uh, as well. And so what, what this is, this is um, the, this is, they, they ruled, the Crown Law ruled that no jab, no job undermines the Bill of Rights is, is really why they've added this uh, in here as well. And that the Bill of Rights is supposed to trump any bureaucratic uh, decisions mm -hmm. Uh, as well. So, and what what's happened here? The, here's the incredible part. Uh, the Ministry of Health and what Sue Gray has reported is in New Zealand Chiropractors Association, the Midwifery Council, the Dental Council, they have been contacting their members, telling them not to give exemptions, even though this has passed. Mm -hmm. So, so these organizations call them third sector organizations, call them uh, uh, stakeholder uh, organizations, stakeholder democracy. Mm -hmm. They're doing a runaround the law and basically trying to reinterpret the law uh, or lay policy on top of the law. And that's completely illegal because they do have a Bill of Rights uh, in, in New Zealand as well. So we'll go back here and we'll say no job, no job policy. So the associations are instructing members not to issue exemptions uh, and attempts to lay policy on top of the law, trying to reinterpret Crown law. This is stakeholder democracy. So in this model, Mike, all you need to do is control the top people yes. in each of these organizations. And the same goes for labor unions as well. And we've reported, we've, we've reported on that as well. So the labor unions, some of these uh, trade associations, these other third sector organizations, even ministries themselves are actively undermining the, the, the highest law of the land, members of the, in, in the health ministry as well. It's an absolutely incredible state of affairs. Let's go back to uh, Sue Gray, who uh, issued this statement just in the last uh, 24 hours, and that's uh, incredibly instructive. I had an extraordinary conversation last night with a young woman called Casey and her mother. Casey was a fit young woman until she had a jab. Since then, she's suffered some horrible, debilitating neurological symptoms. And what's worse is nobody seems to care and nobody knows what treatment to give her. It's, it's really heartbreaking listening to Casey's story. You may have seen some of her posts and her friends and family's posts on Facebook. 
And I've been thinking about Casey overnight and what we can do because we can't let this keep happening. We don't need more evidence. We don't need more vax injuries. What we need is action now. So what I'm proposing is Casey's law. If someone suffers harm doing something that the government's required them to do for the public good, then they need to be given all possible support from the government to restore their lives and all their losses. So it's not fair that you do what you've been told to do and then all of a sudden you bear all the consequences and nobody is there to support you. It doesn't need to be like this. There's a lot of information about the risks from the jab and the alternatives to the jab. There's a lot of information about how to treat people that have suffered harm. The, the problem is the disconnect. The people are not being told this information. They're, instead, they're being told a lot of propaganda that it's safe and effective when we know it's not. So they're, they're really organized. Uh, they've, they've gotten really organized New Zealand and they're getting results. So you right. know, we, we're, the reason we're showing this and, and focusing on this this week to show people that when you, when you are uh, organized and you are focused on the science, on the legal and the policy side, uh, and also on sort of the general uh, media and civic side, um, you have to be focused on and engaged on all of these different levels right. and the community level as well. So take, take a look at some of these organizations. Obviously, if you want to see this full video, just go to Rumble here and put in Sue Gray, and she's got a channel on Rumble, and she's got some great videos here. Her blog is excellent uh, as well. And these are the organizations that she was recommending. Uh, this is New Zealand Doctors Speaking Out uh, Against the Science. This is an excellent organization, similar to uh, Frontline Doctors in America and some of the other uh, ones uh, in Europe and the UK that you might have seen. But um, great resource here, and you can see all their different events. They're highlighting all the live events that they're speaking at, and uh, they have resources in terms of articles, uh, scientific research, and so forth, accessible uh, from, from this, this particular website as well. So that's NZDSOS. So this is a great resource. If, wherever you are, if you're campaigning or you're wanting to get active, look at what they're doing. There's uh, Dr. Sam Bailey there. Uh, she's a fantastic uh, person on, on social media and YouTube. But, uh, and, and also they're recommending here Voices for Freedom, very well organized here. This is their Instagram uh, page uh, as well. You can see they've got everything lined up and uh, updates, info, uh, merchandise, events, uh, people, and so forth. And uh, they've got this uh, system here that allows activists to engage really easily and quickly and then link up very quickly on social media uh, as well. This is how they're running it in the country, in New Zealand. And it's been incredibly effective. They got off to a slow start. The government had the upper hand. Jacinda Ardern admittedly said, go in and go hard mm -hmm. and go, go hard early. And that was their policy. And I think uh, it really put the country on the back foot. And they had the full backing of the mainstream media, the government. Now that sort of you know, uh, crumbling. It's, 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 it's fracturing a little bit. And the reason it's fracturing is because of the facts, because people are finding out the information and because these activist groups are incredibly well uh, organized uh, as well. So let's just turn our view just across the, uh, the water there to uh, New Zealand's neighbor, uh, Australia, and to see what's going on uh, in Australia. So we don't have to uh, belabor the situation in Australia. I think people are well aware of how bad things are and how bad they've been there. Uh, and we might add too that uh, 
Dan Andrews here. He's the premier of the Victoria state, probably the most draconian of all the states. He's embroiled in potentially two different uh, scandals as well. There's a thing called branch stacking. Uh, it, it, it's sort of in the same category, if you will, of gerrymandering or some of these election, uh, fraudulent election practices. Andrews and some of his cabinet ministers um, are implicated. He's already lost cabinet ministers because of this scandal. And this goes back to the year 2000 as well. So he's kind of on thin ice. We saw Gladys uh, and brought down really by a scandal that predated uh, the COVID-19 situation. But in, in a way, in, in moving some of these politicians after they've been hatchet, you know, the hatchet men and hatchet women for Big Pharma and for uh, the Great Reset, once they've done their job, then the establishment also maybe wants to get them out of the way. Mm. Because Matt Hancock is a good example. He was a totally damaged brand. Mm. I mean, he was just completely insufferable from a public point of view at some point. Uh, and so they just moved him off. And now he's what, got a cushy job? Oh, no, he didn't get that cushy job. At the UN? Oh, oh, really? Okay, so I'm sure he'll find something. Maybe there's some uh, there's some attendant uh, positions open on uh, Little St. James uh, down in the Caribbean. But uh, so Dan Andrews might also get moved out of the way in the same way. So let's just take a look. Now, oh, there, there's a campaign. This is, this is coming out of Victoria. It's coming out of Melbourne. Uh, it's called SOS, or Australia SOS. This is uh, Reignite Democracy. Uh, in, in, in Australia, and Monica Smith is the name of the activist. She has been imprisoned for protesting. She cannot uh, organize any protest or she will immediately be incarcerated, and she was held in solitary confinement, okay? So she, this is an incredible campaign. I've never seen anything that's attempting to, to basically reach out globally to basically say the type of thing that we see with the West doing these astroturf campaigns to help the people of Syria or the White Helmets mm. um, on, on very much a false pretext in order to back regime change. These are this is real grassroots, real people basically calling for regime change in Australia and asking the international community for help. So this is the real deal. This would be like if the White Helmets was real and legitimate, it would be along these sort of lines of activism. Mm. So let's look at Monica's video here. Uh, we, we've, we've edited it down to a very short length just to give you a taste of what it is. And then she gives a statement afterwards. This was just released in the last couple of days. Listen closely to this. Let me paint you a picture. Australia, once known as one of the safest and freest countries in the world. But something happened. Today is the first full day of the New World Order. We've got to accept that this is the New World Order. The New World Order and the Australia we once knew is no more. Lockdown 6 was announced on August 5. It is no longer the land of the young and free. It is now a land of division, blackmail, coercion, discrimination and medical apartheid. Get off of me! A land where movement, speech, religion and opinion are no longer free. Protesting is illegal. That is why we are organising a worldwide protest with Australia excluded in support of our plight for freedom. This is an official SOS from my beautiful country we plead with you to hear our cries for help. 
it's one thing to just see the footage here and there, but it's another thing for a country to actually give us support. There are some citizens in Australia that have dual citizenship somewhere else and they would want to go home. I know people who are from Iraq who are leaving Victoria to go home to Iraq. This is serious. This is really happening. I am on bail in Australia and if I uh, organise any events in my own country, I will go back to jail for three months with no appeal and no questions asked. So this is the only thing I can see to do. Um, having been in prison myself for 22 days in solitary confinement with no sunshine, breeze or anything like that, I think that I can speak on behalf of Australia to say that we are in some serious trouble. If, uh, if a law-abiding taxpaying citizen like myself can be put in prison, very simple, no more lockdowns, no more mandatory vaccinations and open international travel so that people can see their loved ones before they die or, or just, be, just to travel. That's our right, should be our right. Um, and not with a mandatory vaccination status either. And if these demands are not met by the 4th of December, I'm asking the leaders of countries to offer safe and quick return of their citizens who want to go home. But I'm also asking them to offer asylum to a certain number of Australians because I know many Australians who want to get out. And if, if we can get asylum for some Australians, not only would it help those Australians, but it would make international headlines that Australians are being given asylum. You know, it's not that long until Australians are going to jump on boats to get out of here. But people used to jump on boats to come here. People used to risk their lives to come to Australia. And now we are in that position. Right. It's pretty, she made a pretty strong point. Yes. There. So just to reiterate, here is the, uh, th this is the event here. So SOS from Australia, protest on behalf uh, of Australia and these people. Uh, and so they're asking people to gather outside the nearest Australian embassy or consulate and uh, uh, and make their protest there. Yeah, yeah, exactly, all around the world. So uh, this is absolutely unique. More information, you can go check out uh, their website as well. And I might add that, uh, you know, they've just passed one of the most draconian pieces of legislation even by all of the standards that we have seen so far. Mm -hmm. um, you'd think they would be winding it down, but at least in this, in the Victoria state, they're ratcheting it up. Public Health and Wellbeing Amendment Pandemic Management Bill 2021. This allows someone like Dan Andrews to declare a pandemic, even if there isn't one. Uh, and thank you to Jeremy Salt at Global Research uh, for making this uh, incredible bullet point list here. So they can, uh, basically fine individuals and businesses, uh, individuals up to $90,000, uh, businesses 450,000 Australian dollars. Uh, people can be detained for two years, but they have to pay the cost of their own detention. And they've built an internment camp at Mickleham on the outskirts of Melbourne that's already being uh, constructed. Legislation includes a point system. So this is like social credit for bad behavior or punishment um, and for, for, for bad behavior. And this is for individuals and business owners. And uh, the police can detain on the basis of whatever they consider to be characteristics, attributes, or circumstances as assessed by an officer 
uh, detained individuals must submit to medical testing. Uh, and their detention can be extended if they refuse to accept the medical testing. Uh, if they cannot pay for their detention, that could also potentially extend their detention. Uh, and information can be extracted from people who have been detained, uh, not just the names and addresses, but any other information an authorized officer might want. They don't say exactly how they would extract this information, uh, and public Private meetings can be banned and businesses closed as usual. This is, this is really. It sounds. It doesn't sound good. No, no, uh, no that is not good. No, so, no. I mean, we, you know, we mentioned that uh, a couple of weeks ago with the fines, but there was a lot in what you just read out there that I hadn't appreciated. Uh, particularly, we're going to detain you, but you got to pay for it yourself. So effectively, you know, somebody who's uh, perhaps protesting because they've lost their job as a result of a no jab, no job policy or, be, or because just because of lockdown and, and their job has gone, uh, they've got no way of paying for that. And you're, that list is suggesting that, that if they can't pay, their detention could be extended. So this is effectively, it turns into a combination of, of protest prison and, and, and uh, you know, debtor's prison. Debtor's prison. Yeah. Yeah. They're not, they don't specify in terms of, you know, what happens if you can't pay, but apparently you'll be fined if you can't pay. Figure that one out. Right. So, I mean, this is just beyond the pale. Just when you think they would sort of be winding it down, where's the proportionality in this? Is it, if you're having anything this serious, it should mean that there's this massive pandemic mm. uh, on tearing through the, the population, and that's not happening, actually. There could be a, a, an epidemic of illnesses, but it won't be due to COVID. Mm. It might actually be due to the you know, 80 and 90% vaccination rates mm. uh, if they achieve those, based on what we're seeing in terms of reports from around the world, in terms of adverse reactions and so forth. That's not us saying that. that that's the data that's being widely quoted on numerous different uh, websites, news sources, and even uh, you'll find it in uh, official government data as well. Right. Okay, uh, let's move on then. Uh, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community. There are options for you to join for join us there, and uh, that would be very much appreciated. Uh, do share uh, material on the various platforms as well. Now let's move on to, uh, quickly to uh, COP26, Patrick. Uh, and, uh, well, what have we got? Well, that's the President of the United States brought in the Sleepy Joe cam, and Joe's nodding off a little bit, you know, give him a little bit of slack, Mike. It's a long conference. Yes. Not the most exciting material uh, either here. And so he will be saved any moment now by one of his uh, aides. We'll rush in here to see uh, if he's okay and probably offer him uh, whatever stimulants um, he might be uh, requiring here. But as you can see, Joe's struggling to stay awake. There is his aide there. He's saying, would you like some of this? Joe's just about there. He's going to sort of. He's probably going to pass. Yes, right. Yeah. So no, he says, no, I don't want any of that. that so that's bad, right? That yes. doesn't look good. No, so what about, uh, what about the British Prime Minister here? Joe's just had it with this whole climate thing. He was hoping to get a, get a meet and greet with Greta, but that didn't happen, didn't happen unfortunately. Though. So he's not happy. So here is about the nearest best thing here to that. That's Boris Johnson nodding off here amongst the masks. The great and the masked there at COP26 uh, in Glasgow. I think he's next to the UN Secretary General there. 
That looks like Gutierrez. Yeah, he doesn't look terribly awake either. It has to be said. Well, they're 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 all sort of they they all look a bit morbid, but like you can't tell who's who anymore. With everyone's wearing these these masks, uh, but Boris isn't, and he got a lot of stick for that, didn't he? Yeah. There was a lot of pushback. So, but yeah, Boris is having trouble staying awake. It's so exciting saving the planet, isn't it? Yes. You think that they'd be really motivated, but you know, <laughs> if you listen to any of the. Pre uh, any of the presentations from this, or you, did you, if you caught uh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. a lot of it's diversity and woke language and woke stuff. It's just the worst thing. So I'm, I'm sure it's difficult to stay awake. Uh, well, indeed. Uh, but uh, look, there's been some exciting stuff going on. Let's let's have a look at this. This is from the uh, World Economic Forum. They tweeted this out uh, yesterday. Uh, quote of the day from Mark Carney, UN Special Envoy for Climate Action and Finance. Read more at the World Economic Forum's website. But let's have a look and see what uh, uh, Mr. Carnage was saying. Uh, the architecture of the global financial system has been transformed, has been transformed to deliver net zero. Uh, we now have the essential plumbing in place to move climate change from the fringes to the forefront of finance. So that every financial decision takes climate change into account. So. Before we come on to uh, trying to see perhaps what he means by we now have the essential plumbing in place, I just thought it was worthwhile uh, putting up Whitney Webb's uh, response to this uh, thing that, because she, she uh, was responding to that specific tweet from the World Economic Forum. And she's absolutely right here. She says COP26 is about setting up the financial infrastructure for a completely new economic system based on central bank digital currencies and the financialization of, quote, natural capital and quotes, human capital uh, into new asset classes. It's about completely complete economic domination of the planet, not about saving it. This is absolutely correct. So uh, what, what is this new infrastructure that, uh, that um, Mark Carnage is talking about? Well, of course, it's this, and this is just one example. In this case, the European Central Bank, David Scott had this graphic from uh, a couple of uh, Mondays ago. Uh, this is the European Central Bank's balance sheet. Uh, and this is how they have uh, increased the money supply in euros over the last uh, number of years. Uh, and of course, this same graph uh, or similar uh, could be seen uh, with the bank from the Bank of England or from the Federal Reserve Bank uh, and so on. So the three uh, major uh, central banks in the world all carrying out the same kind of operation. They have vastly expanded the money supply. And what are they going to do with it? Well, we reported this on Monday. Uh, Rishi Sunak uh, at COP26 saying that nearly 500 financial services firms from around across the world have agreed to align $130 trillion of assets that they hold to the climate goals of the Paris Agreement. That is this notional 1.5 degrees uh, target that they claim to have. So uh, just think about that. He's talking about 40% of the entire uh, monetary base on the planet, 40% being applied towards this. This is what Mark Carney's talking about. Uh, it has already been done. It's a done deal. And this is exactly as Whitney Webb is saying, to build this new financial infrastructure, which is going to be dictatorship along. We were talking about Australia and New Zealand there, but this is, this is the heart of the beast. And, and pension firms are going to be included in that, obviously. Of course, institutional, yes. Uh, big institutional investments. Yes. So uh, Whitney Webb went on to say, if you're going to trust billionaires and bankers who've created the, envi the environmental crisis to design a brand new economic system because you think they care about the environment, you might as well hand them your brain in a bag. And I thought that pretty much sums mm -hmm. it up.
actually. Absolutely true. Uh, so anyway, but in the meantime, uh, where does that take, take us? It takes us to uh, a little video here, because as winter approaches, what are we going to do? Coroni's coming back, Patrick. He's going to be uh, in our all our homes. Uh, and uh, so we've got to open all the windows because this is the only way. So basically, uh, we've got to stop COVID-19 hanging around. This is the new, uh, the new uh, buzzword or buzz phrase from the British government. Uh, this is all about clear advice to open windows for 10 minutes each hour when socializing indoors. Uh, and this is because new research reveals that only a third of the public understand the importance of ventilation in our homes. Uh, and this film that you're seeing on screen at the moment demonstrates how in a home setting, someone infected with the virus it, talking and interacting with another person produces a buildup of COVID-19 particles in the air. These particles then linger in an unventilated room like smoke, uh, meaning the risk of catching COVID-19 is significantly increased. However, COVID-19 particles disperse quickly when good ventilation is introduced, even for a short period. Well, look, I'm going to ask, is this about COVID-19 or is this about something else? Of course, we have to uh, stop burning that nasty stuff, gas, in order to heat our homes. According uh, to according the, to Co the Green COP26 New Deal. and the Green yeah. New Deal. Uh, and of course, Boris is pushing for this very, very quickly. Uh, and uh, well, we've got to replace it with heat pumps, which don't work. And uh, so they don't work. You're going to have to get used. They to don't being, provide heat. No. Well, you, so we're going to have to get used to, to living in a colder environment in our homes over the next number of years. So we might as well get started right now. Open those windows, let the cold air in, uh, make sure that you get used to, to the average temperature of your home being lower uh, than, than, than you've, you're used to in the past. So in that sense, it's really fortunate that, that Caroni came around when he did. Isn't it? Because uh, hadn't, had Caroni not come around in 2020, we wouldn't have this great opportunity to sort of open our doors and windows in the winter. And change our behaviors. And, and get used to the cold. Yeah. You know, you might not even need that extra jumper. You just because you get used to the cold, you might just need one jumper, uh, perhaps. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. So thank, thank you, COVID, once again. The gift that keeps on giving. The gift that keeps on giving. Now, uh, electric cars are an issue. I got a communication with from uh, a, a viewer, and I wanted to put a little bit of it on screen because I thought it was uh, it was very useful in a sense. And uh, he said this, Hello, I wanted to do some research into electric cars to find out just how environmentally friendly such cars are. This is what I found out, so I wanted to share it with an independent news organization. I've got to say, well done for this. We would like to see much more of this kind of thing. Um, so this is what uh, he discovered. Uh, rare earth minerals such as cobalt and lithium are just some of the materials that make up lithium batteries for electric cars. According to the Green Tech Media, 50% of cobalt comes from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, the government of Congo reports that 20% of all cobalt exports out of the country are from unregulated mines that operate illegally. Many of the mines use child labor to extract the cobalt ore. It's estimated that at least 40,000 children are employed by these illegally run mines. And of course, this is absolutely correct. And there has been copious coverage in the mainstream press, but it's largely ignored when it comes to things like COP26 and it comes to the push uh, to remove fossil fuels from the, uh, from, from the deal. So this is CNN for a couple of years ago talking about dirty energy and talking about the, the children uh, in the cobalt mines. This is uh, Guardian. 
uh, when was this? Uh, this was certainly over a year ago. Apple and Google named a U.S. lawsuit over Congolese child cobalt mi mining deaths. 2019. 2019. Yeah. So here's another one from the, for the Observer this time. Child labor, toxic leaks, and the price we could pay for a greener future. We're, it's not a question of could pay. This is a price that's already being paid and has been being paid for quite some time now by children in uh, countries that are required to mine this type of material. Uh, Financial Times, Congo, child labor and your electric car. So we can't pretend that we don't know anything about this because it has been covered in the mainstream press uh, and yet it's largely ignored. And certainly you'll never hear Greta talking about this. She's talking about child, child activists and, and children demanding a brighter future. But she never mentions the children that are absolutely consigned to a devastating future if they ever have the potential to reach uh, teenagehood or adulthood at all as a result of the exploitation that's going on. Politicians as well, uh, they're being asked questions. So here's uh, EU, uh, the European Parliament, uh, question being asked uh, with respect to the cobalt mines. Uh, EU imports cobalt from the Democratic Republic of uh, Congo on a large scale. Uh, this raw material is used in batteries for electric cars and so on and questions that are being asked and the answers that are being given and the answers that are being given are all about virtue signaling. They're not about actually doing anything about the problem. It's about having, you know, all their, uh, all the European Union uh, procedures and addressing this problem of child labor without ever actually doing anything about it. Because putting a bit of money into putting some words on a page or even uh, having somebody employed to consider these issues is the price of doing business. Uh, and really, we don't need to worry about these children at all. And I just want to remind everybody once again about this uh, particular report uh, from the Global Warming Policy Foundation, electrifying the UK and the, and the want of engineering, absolutely making the point about the scale of the mining that's going to be required in order to uh, produce electric cars on any kind of uh, basis that would replace the current car fleet and saying that actually even if you were to mine out the entire planet, you couldn't possibly do it. Um, so anyway, the communication from our viewer went on to say this. Uh, according to Amnesty International, 40,000 children in these mines are faced with life-threatening conditions as they breathe in cobalt dust, which causes a condition called hard metal lung disease, which causes breathing problems and asthma. It's not much better when it comes to lithium mined from the salt flats of South Africa, uh, sorry, South America, apologies, uh, within countries such as Argentina, Bolivia and Chile. Removing lithium from salt requires huge amounts of water, causing massive water shortages. So this was... Reminds me of fracking. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, James's point. And again, this has been covered in mainstream press. Well, this is mining technology, talking about lithium's uh, water problem. This is uh, engineering and technology. Lithium firms depleting vital water supplies in Chile, analysis suggests. Uh, here's Reuters in the Chilean desert. Global thirst for lithium is fueling a water war. Uh, and uh, here we have Wired, the spiraling environmental cost of our lithium battery addiction. And they say, uh, here's a thoroughly modern riddle. Uh, what links the battery in your smartphone with a dead yak floating down the Tibet uh, Tibetan River? The answer is lithium, the reactive alkali metal that powers our phones, tablets, laptops, and electric cars. There is no excuse for not really understanding uh, what is the basis of the technologies that we're using in order to pursue this Green New Deal. They are anti-human. Uh, and I, this is not about saying we've got to abandon technology. But if we're going to pursue a policy which does as much damage as the policy which they're claiming we've got to abandon, 
then this is not a step forward. And that is unsustainable um, when they're trying to sell this whole banner of sustainable development. If you look at the UN Sustainable Development Goals, one of them is that we pledge to end child labor. So by, by meeting their sustainable development goal of uh, a greener, cleaner uh, car uh, fleet and so forth, um, which isn't really that green at all, uh, they're also defeating their, their goal of ending right. child labor. I mean, so they don't even, there's no consistency whatsoever, uh, not even at the UN level. Uh, it's all virtue signaling, uh, it's all rhetoric, and there's nothing green, uh, really green about it. And if you look at Michael Schellenberger's work uh, in his recent book, or you look at uh, uh, the, the recent Michael Moore uh, film that was, uh, that was put out to sort of expose um, the whole fraud of the sort of the green the green tech movement. I mean, it's just pretty, it's a pretty damning case. Yes. Okay, so let's uh, move on then to this. Prince Charles leaves Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio fangirling in exciting reunion at COP26. I have to say, I don't even know what fangirling is. Well, I don't know. Well, I think the fangirling started when he took his mask off there. Oh, I so see, right. Just being safe there, because he has to. It's in his insurance policy. With his agent, but uh, but here here we get here now the masks are off and this is a really this is a meeting of the minds here uh, at COP uh, twenty six Mike because you know how often do you get a Nobel laureate in climate science talking to a Nobel laureate in botany, DJing as you know the the peer reviewed work of both of these guys is so impressive Prince Charles's groundbreaking peer reviewed work about playing Wagner uh, to his plants. Uh, in the greenhouse and the, uh, how they increased the growth of uh, his plants as well and made them stand up strong and tall. Uh, so, but, but mind you, DiCaprio it will be playing a climate scientist in an upcoming film. Oh, really? Does that make him one? That will increase his, his credentials massively because uh, he'll have to do a lot of research for that role. And he'll be that much closer, that much closer to being an actual uh, climate uh, expert there. So um, that's what's going on in Glasgow. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, now, the BBC this morning, very, very upset uh, because the headline is uh, climate change, Facebook fails to flag denial, study finds. Um, so uh, Facebook is failing. Uh, any climate denial that's going on uh, is not being flagged uh, and it's not being taken down. Um, so the question is, Who's behind this study, this alleged study that uh, claims that Facebook is failing? Uh, well, here's one of the organizations, the Center for Countering Digital Hate. Uh, we've mentioned them before. It's worthwhile mentioning them again. Uh, so Imran Ahmed is their uh, chief executive officer. But when we have a look at who's on the board, uh, well, we find that Damien Collins MP is on the board. Now, of course, he is uh, chairman of the current uh, online safety bill uh, scrutiny committee. Uh, and uh, so he is busy deciding whether the legislation that's that is about to be brought in by the government to censor content on social media is doing a sufficient job. So here we have uh, a man who's supposed to be providing scrutiny on a bill who's also on the board of an organization which is there to promote the notion of disinformation and misinformation doing all kinds of harm on the internet. Uh, this is the very least seems like a conflict of interest, but anyway, uh, there he is. Uh, and then, of course, uh, who are their funders? Well, the Center for Countering Digital Hate is a non-profit, non-governmental organization that is funded by philanthropic trusts and members of the public. And that's it. That's all we can find out. They're, they publish no information on who these uh, philanthropic trusts are or how much money they've had from the philanthropic trusts. 
but if your organization wishes to help fund them, they can you can contact them. But uh, you know, in the meantime, we we can't know who's uh, who's funding them. Let's take a wild guess. Maybe the Open Society Foundation, Foundation perhaps the Ford Foundation, Ford, Joseph uh, Roundtree, maybe Joseph Roundtree Trust. I'm sure they get a little wedge from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as well. We're just taking wild guesses there, but I'll bet you were right about at least three of those five. Well, quite possibly. We will wager on that. What what are they really doing? Is is they're attacking and shutting down? free speech. Then you have Hope Not Hate. This is another organization that attacks event organizers and tries to get venues shut down as well. And the prevent strategy also has an aspect of this right. uh, as well. And this has been used to shut down events uh, with council venues. This happened to Media on Trial uh, in Leeds a couple of years right. ago uh, as well. So that's really what they're doing is pressuring social media firms, working with government uh, and all, uh, various law enforcement uh, officials as well to shut down free speech. That's the general role. So where is this this idea of denialism? Deny, so how can you deny? You deny the climate is changing? I don't know anybody would ever... No, nobody's denying that. Deny that the climate changes. It's been changing since the beginning of time. So what are they really talking about here? So unfortunately, this has taken hold, Mike, in academia and culture. And so this is a book here, The Truth About Denial. It's hugely politically colored this type of text, but this is what university students and in the social sciences are being basically plied with uh, when they're doing their higher education. So the truth about denial, bias and self-deception in science, politics, and religion. And the buzzword here, Mike, is in yellow. People in denial engage in motivated reasoning, they're calling it, about their situation. They sincerely argue and interpret evidence in light of a pre-established conclusion, one significant type of Reason distorting uh, emotional threat is a threat to one's ideological worldview. That could pretty much describe anybody engaged in any argument on any branch of politics. Yes. No matter where you sit on the political paradigm. So what they've done is they've they're, they're trying to uh, borrow just common uh, postulates of the real world and then sort of selectively apply them uh, against their political enemies. So if, you, if you're not on board with the consensus, then you're a climate denier. That is, a, consensus is a political concept. This is no different than religious clerics. That's what uh, the Center for Countering Digital Hate, they're like religious clerics. Yes. It's like the Taliban running around and basically reinterpreting uh, what's true and what's not. And if you don't believe their interpretation, then you you're, your hat cut off. you're in denial. It's, it's the Spanish Inquisition for a digital age. That's all it is. This is a, a secular religious clerisy. That's all it is. So in order to make sure that the next generation isn't uh, growing up in denial, uh, here is uh, Anton LaVey, otherwise known as uh, Nadim Sahawi, the Education Secretary, and uh, what he's, he announced. Uh, he has announced that uh, the British government wants to deliver a better, safer, greener world for future generations of young people. And education is our one of our key weapons in the fight against climate change. So uh, young people will be empowered, says the British government, to take action on the environment as part of new measures designed to put climate change at the heart of education. Teachers will be supported to deliver world-leading climate change education through a model science curriculum, which will be in place by 2023, to teach children about nature and their impact on the world around them. They're also going to create the Climate Leaders Award. This is common purpose for kids, uh, which will help children and young people deliver their skills and knowledge in biodiversity and sustainability and celebrate and recognize their work in protecting the local environment 
Uh, and uh, children will be able to get graded in similar way as the Duke of Edinburgh Award. Uh, so pupils and students will be able to progress through different levels of the award, bronze, silver and gold, in a similar way to the Duke of Edinburgh Awards. Uh, and in addition, from December 2021, all further education teachers trained via an apprenticeship will be required to integrate sustainability into their teaching uh, through modelling sustainable practices and promoting sustainable development principles in relation to their subject specialism. Uh, Zahawi went on to say, empowering teachers in every school to deliver a world-leading climate change education will not only raise awareness and understanding of the problem, but also equips young people with the skills and knowledge to build a sustainable future. And it goes beyond the classroom. Our National Education Nature Park and Climate Leaders Awards will let pupils get hands-on uh, on experiencing uh, of understanding, nurturing, protecting the biodiversity around them. So, uh, and he's also in confirmed plans to test innovative new energy pods, Patrick, energy pods that will replace gas and coal boilers in schools. So children better get used to being cold as well. Energy pods. Energy pods. Wouldn't it be great if... These are, this is a, a brand name, I think, for heat pumps. Well, I just I have visions of the Matrix, Mike. When I when I hear energy pods, I, I see a cable attached to the back of, of of one's head, so it's not pleasant. So look, they're they're programming the kids. Yes. They're yes. They're, they're installing software into the brains of children who don't know any better, who think that what they're being told is true and correct, and in that in that sense, they're brainwashing the next generation. Yes. That's what's happening. So uh, over to the U.S. election, and we just might point this out. There's been a paradigm shift. It's underway right now in U.S. politics. So the woke agenda seems to have hit the wall, uh, and some significant things have happened uh, over the last week in terms of results. Take a look at this. The GOP have swept Virginia. Now, this is the governor, the lieutenant governor, and also the AG uh, position here. Uh, sorry, and for a British audience, that's the Republican Party, therefore? That's the Republican Party, yeah. So this is Glenn Youngkin here. Defeated Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe was a longtime uh, Clinton staffer and in inner circle of the Clintons. And he ran. And what's interesting, Joe Biden and Barack Obama went to stump for McAuliffe uh, two, uh, two weeks ago. And, and it's after Biden and Obama showed up, McAuliffe's poll numbers tanked. And everyone thought this unbelievable. This first time Glenn Youngkin shows up mm. and he does his thing and he's he's won. So, and this is significant here. Winsome Sears, a first black female, I, th I believe first female and African-American uh, person to hold uh, a statewide office, I believe. So she's the lieutenant governor. She's one step away from the governor there. Mm -hmm. And she's a Republican. So obviously she's being ignored by CNN because she is the wrong color uh, for a Republican. So they like their diversity, but only on their side yes. uh, of, of the political aisle. Jason uh, Miares here, and he's, I believe, the son of a Cuban-American immigrant uh, attorney general as well. So a total sweep. Now, this was a, a, strong, a blue stronghold, um, really, for the last couple of terms. And so th th this is a major thing, especially the midterms are coming up next November. Mm. And if this is any indication of what that might look like, Virginia is an absolutely key swing state and it's right in the shadow of washington dc so it, it the ripple effects are being felt will this energize trump's potential campaign absolutely and anything like this is definitely going to be uh, bode well for a trump mm. for a trump campaign so and what else has happened here look at this a jersey truck driver this guy spent 156 dollars on his campaign he has taken 
the most powerful state Senate seat in New Jersey. And he's a Republican uh, as well. His name's Ed Durr. And uh, he beat Steve Sweeney, who is the, uh, the president of the state Senate. So, I mean, this is a major victory. And uh, again, this is just an indication of how things are swinging, even in Democratic strongholds. Mm. So it's pretty unbelievable. And uh, we go up to uh, Buffalo. This is uh, in upper state New York here. Uh, the mayor's race of Buffalo, Byron Brown, declares victory uh, against socialist, democratic socialist, India Walton, who is backed by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And so he was a write-in ballot candidate, Mike. He couldn't get on the ballot as an independent. He got, the, the state Supreme Court said he could, and then they, the, uh, the election officials and party officials uh, appealed. And no, so he was a write-in candidate, and he won. And he beat the democratic socialist backed by AOC. So, I mean, if that doesn't tell you, and this is in a, this is a blue area, this mm. is upper state New York, it's very Democrat, okay? Right. New York full stop is very Democrat. So there is a sea change going on in the United States in terms of politics. Right now, the Democrats are commiserating on the major networks, and they're saying, oh, what have we done? We've taken this woke agenda too far. They're all having, there's an infighting dialogue going on. They're sort of, you know, sniping at each other. Mm. And uh, the, the democratic socialists and the centrists are kind of at war as well. And so meanwhile, the, the GOP, the Republicans, conservatives just sit back and they're just like going, going ahead with business as usual. So again, the, the trends are turning uh, towards uh, the Republicans for next year's midterms. And then as a prelude to the 2024 election, whoever uh, the Republicans put up for president, whether it's Trump or uh, whether it's Ron DeSantis or who knows how it's going to shape up. But it's definitely, it's trending in that direction already. So, and then you're seeing a lot of uh, moves to, to have election reform on a state-by-state -state basis. So, and then lastly, uh, this is a slow burn, but there's finally something happening here. Well, not Christopher Steele, but the Durham investigation, independent investigation started under Donald Trump has basically got its first arrest for the Steele dossier, Igor Danchenko. He was a uh, senior or lead researcher for Christopher Steele's Steele dossier, which everyone in the mainstream media is now saying was full of rumor and is fake. They're now saying- That's that. right. We had, we had a little bit of video on the program a, a week or so ago with Christopher Steele saying, oh no, I'm pretty sure it was all correct. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, so this is a mid-level uh, guy here. They've hung out to dry. Right. Uh, so is, is there any chance that Christopher Steele himself uh, is going to be indicted? I mean, uh, Danchenko will be... Could he, could he end up in the next cell to Julian Assange? I don't think so. No. I, I just have a feeling he's not uh, because he's been working with the FBI. He's, a, he's really uh, an unofficial asset of U.S. intelligence as well, as well as being a British uh, intelligence asset as well. So he, I think he's just going to avoid anything and they're going to go after some of these lower level guys. Yes. Uh, well, we're just going to end on this one then. I, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned uh, this Financial Times article because it, uh, it was their lead on this. Amazon strikes deal with UK spy agencies to host top secret material. So this is GCHQ, MI5 and MI6 uh, hosting top, so-called top secret material on uh, Amazon's uh, cloud uh, infrastructure. Uh, and well, it turns out that it wasn't just the UK that was up to this gag. Uh, Israel is up to this gag as well. So here's Haaretz uh, saying Israel picks Google and Amazon uh, for massive uh, official cloud. Data will remain here is the quote. Google and Amazon beat Microsoft and Oracle for Israel's Project Nimbus, uh, which will see local cloud centers 
uh, set up an investment of 4 billion shekels. So what does that work out at? I think it's about $1.2 billion is the value of this contract. Uh, and uh, But it isn't going all to plan. It's a bit problematic because there's been a bit of a backlash from Google's employees themselves. Um, so uh, here we go. This is a Jewish telegraphic agency. Uh, and the headline is Jewish employees play a key role to push in push to cancel Google's $1.2 billion contract with Israel. So um, the, I believe about a thousand uh, employees of all uh, religions, by the way, or none, uh, have signed this already, including uh, many Jewish uh, employees of, of Google. Uh, so they've signed a petition calling on uh, both Google and Amazon to drop this whole thing uh, because they don't uh, support the, the deal with uh, Israel. Um, and uh, so the contract itself uh, apparently contains a clause which prevents companies from withdrawing under the influence of any boycotts. So when they were designing this contract, did they see the, that it would be problematic and therefore potentially there were going to be boycotts or, or protests and, and so they can't get out of it apparently. But nonetheless, uh, uh, neither Google nor Amazon have been willing to, to issue any kind of statement on this. But what I found was interesting about it was, you know, many people uh, sort of criticize uh, Israel for many things. Um, but it's not often that you hear in the mainstream press, at least, of, you know, Jewish uh, community sticking up for that criticism in this way. Well, it's it, it, back in the 70s, you had a lot of Democrats and, and leading uh, liberal Jewish voices that were, you know, against Zionism and so forth and taking the side of, mm -hmm. uh, of Palestine. And that sort of got um, submerged, especially under the Bush, the Bush years as the, the rise of neoconservatism and the, whole, the media oriented itself in that direction as well. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's now cycling back. So if, <laughs> if, the, if the, for the Google case, how would the Labour Party in the UK or the Board of Deputies interpret this? Would they say that these Google employees are anti-Semitic? Yes. They would, wouldn't yes, they? Yes, they would, yes. Which shows how ridiculous that whole scene was. So th th this is legitimate, <laughs> legitimate political opposition, mm. even within uh, Google, uh, a big, massive transnational corporation. And so that's, that's, that's pretty significant. So this is the woke agenda and the AOC, the squad in America, they're, they're, they're also quite, um, uh, quite f fairly representative of, on this issue as well right. in, ter in terms of sticking up for uh, the Palestinian cause. So this is, it's an interesting political schism yes. and split and, uh, and sometimes bears some very interesting and helpful results sometimes. Okay, well, look, we'll have to leave it there for today. Thank you very much for joining us today, Patrick. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be back at the same time, 1 p.m. as usual. Uh, we hope you have a great weekend and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.